Good morning and welcome everybody. You're listening to The Breakfast Show on Faith FM, 87.6, 87.8 or 88. Right across Australia, right across the Faith FM network, wherever you are. Positively different radio in the morning. You're with the double L team, Lyle and... Lawson! Lawson, what are you thankful for this morning? I'm you know what I'm thankful for? Oh, what are you thankful for? Eating plant-based diet gives you a longer life. <laughs> what on earth was that on the news all about? Everybody knows this. There is nobody that doesn't know this. I am really tempted to see who paid for that study. Oh, I'm so going to look that one up. Yeah, because, because by the We've way... We've already like, got people texting us on that one right now. Really? Like, yeah, eating meat leads to greater life expectancy? Wow. Wow. Uh, yeah. On the, on the text this, right there. Well, because we... Like, the reality is, is, like, the research has already been done. Like a million times over? Yeah. And there's so and much... When you belong to a, when you belong to a church, we're like... In developed countries, half the people live a plant-based diet. This is kind of stuff that we see every day. That's right. Not only is it like the research and the data shows that living, having a plant-based diet is better, but at the same time, uh, we just know anecdotally tons of people who are super old and have lived to super old ages like fantastically because they are plant-based. So, that, yeah, that was really strange. I guess I'm g- grateful that that news was dumb so we could... You know, talk about bag it. it out. I don't know, bag it out. That's, that's how we're how we're living. But anyways, um, yeah. Other than that, I guess I'm I'm doing great. How are you doing, Lyle? Oh, I'm doing fantastic. I'm oh. in, I'm enjoying a plant based diet and just thriving <laughs> on it. It's the best thing ever. I'd recommend it to everybody. It's uh, better than anything else. You're listening to the Breakfast Show podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. Uh, this is The Breakfast Show here on Faith FM. We're going to get into our pentathlon quiz. Lawson's going to bring us our first clue, our first question. Lawson, go for it. Sorry, I'm just like really wondering. That previous artist, her name was Blanca. Mm-hmm. That means white in Spanish. I wonder if that's like a stage name or if that's just her name. I think it's uh, I. Somebody needs to uh, correct me on this, but I think it's kind of like a Slavic name. Really? Yeah. Like, because it's literally the word for white in Spanish. Hmm. There you go. There you go. Well, okay. Cool. Be sorry. I was like, I was really trying to wrap my brain around that. Anyways, for 100 points, something to wrap your brain around. What terrible locale, according to Jesus, is a place where the fire is not quenched? 0491064669 is the number to call. And for 100 points, you can win a Faith FM bookmark and bumper sticker. Uh, so, guys, give us a call, 0491064669. Um, or you can get those points on the board. Continue to work your way through the quiz. But what terrible locale, according to Jesus, is a place where the fire is not quenched? 0491064669. All right. Let's see if you can get the answer to this one in... Uh in, in 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 Greek. In Greek? Yes. Oh, wow. Okay. Or Aramaic. Oh, Aramaic. Ar- I think it's Aramaic would be the correct one. For yeah. The, okay. The okay. Okay. Fair enough. Yes. Fair enough. See if you can give it to right. me in Aramaic. Well, today, uh, well, yesterday was for like... Extra bragging rights. Yesterday was like 22, 2, 22, 2, 2, 2, 2, and everyone's, you know, taking screenshots and celebrating and talking about it. Yes. So naturally, congratulations, guys. We've made 33, 3, 3. <laughs> no, no, I'm just kidding. All right. Let's have a look at some positively different news this morning. Okay. Lyle. Yes. Some people have found a really old bowl. That's cool. Like a 2,000-year-old bowl. Yeah, that's cool. But the I'd like to find a 2,000-year-old bowl. I'd put it on my shelf and be a talking point. But the special thing about this 2,000-year-old bowl yes. that they found 
like first excavating. Yeah, first century Roman era Roman bowl. Oh, it's a Roman. Oh, okay, it's so a it's Roman Europeans, bowl. Europeans. And there's a whole super cool story about it. it's a Roman bowl, but they found it in the Netherlands. But yes. this Roman bowl is made out of glass, right? Completely. It's they a, didn't make glass bowls in first century. That well, they did, but yes. it's lo- it survived like two thousand years. Yeah, that's not a bad effort. In the ground, that's, that's they very literally dug it up. This is amazing. This It'd be is... disappointing if you dug that thing up and go, oh, wow, check this out, and then accidentally dropped it while oh, you're carrying it to the cleaning table. <laughs> anyway, th- okay, so this found this bowl in the Dutch in a Dutch city called Nijmegen. Nij- Nijmegen? I'm going to call it Nijmegen. Um, so <laughs> in a Dutch that. city called Nijmegen, it's a blue glass bowl. It's kind of like got this ruffle design around the outside, um, and it has a super awesome story. Well, what they assume about it anyway, because they know it's definitely Roman. Yes. Uh, Ro- the Romans were amazing glaziers. They made all kinds of things out of glass. And uh, the- basically, Nijmegen is the oldest city in the Netherlands. Okay. It is the like So it's a Roman era city? It is a Roman era city. Or pre-Roman era city. It was established by the Romans okay. as a trading post area. Like sure. they they would come uh and they would trade there. Um they would also yeah, come along and it was a fort, you know, it was for defense. Uh, it is the oldest city in the Netherlands. So would the assumption be that this bowl was purposely buried? Because it's kind of the the, the kind of thing that, you know, is obviously has a certain level of uh, value that would be attached to it. So why would you throw it out, say, into the rubbish or whatever, where it would be buried over time and then just disappear and be preserved until today? Yeah, interesting. Or did someone bury it as a part of a hoard? Well, they just, like, were excavating and they found it. I think it just got, like, probably mixed up. Like, How does something like this sort of get discarded like that and yeah. then just completely disappear? It makes you wonder, doesn't it? It's like, what's going on here? But it, it's super cool. It's, yes, it is really good. like is. this is a bowl that, dude, like existed in the time of Jesus. Like yes, this is ages and ago. And it's made out of glass. And it's made out of glass. And completely. it's not broken. And it's not broken. You could still use it. Yeah, you could put your salad in it. <laughs> That's right. But they assumed like how it ended up there was like obviously by Roman occupation, but a glass bowl like this would be an expensive item. And essentially, like in this area, Nijmegen, it was a fantastic conditions and it still is for agriculture particularly for like cattle farming and all this stuff and so you know there would have been cows there they would have been growing up those cows and then killing them and taking their hides and turning them into all kinds of like taking lots of opportunities for this bowl to be broken yeah totally but also lots of opportunities for this bowl to be traded around and then eventually and if it's agriculture maybe lots of opportunities for it to be buried yeah that's that's ultimately where it's ended up. I, I just find it fascinating. I would so if I if I had that thing, I would so put salad in it one day, just because. I would know, put my keys in it. It looks like a keys bowl to me. Oh, it's small. It's kind of small. You could put a salad in it. You could eat like a salad by yourself. I would or, totally do that. I, I'd I, I'd put like I'd make a rice. Very carefully. I, I'd make a rice bowl in there. You know, I'd chuck my rice, my cold tofu. rice, cold rice. Why I wouldn't cold? put anything hot in there. Oh, because it's glass? Because it's glass. You might crack it. Oh, true. It's so old, dude. Yeah. Oh, I'd throw my... I would want to throw my keys in I'd there, put, but then I'd, I'd put, be I'd scared. Put, um, I'd put salad in there and eat it with chopsticks. Okay. Yeah, good one. Yes. Chopsticks wooden is chopsticks. so good. Wooden, I'd eat it with wooden chopsticks because they're softer and they're not going to damage the bowl in any way and you're actually picking stuff up rather than scraping it around. Can you use bowl. chopsticks, Lyle? Yeah. That's surprising. I thought you'd be too bogan for that. No. I'm <laughs> 
I'm fully educated. <laughs> in the in the chopstick I learned, way. I learned to uh I learned to use chopstick when I was full bogan. Really? Yes. When? Like when living, I was twenty. Where, li- oh. When I was twenty, I went to America and with the college I was going to is full of Koreans and so wow. I learned to use chopsticks. Really? I'm like, yeah, you do it like this. And I was like, oh okay. Do yeah. you like like spicy Korean food? Yeah. Yeah? Yeah, I like spicy Oh, food. that's awesome. Man, Lyle's Mr. Worldwide. All these oh, things course. that I didn't know. I thought uh-huh. Lyle was the single most white bread person that I've ever met. But, <laughs> yeah. man, oh, dude. I'm, I'm actually 7% Asian, so. Yeah, I knew that. that. Counts. I knew that, but. White bread person. <laughs> dude, I'll. You're the one who gets some burgers. I'll, I'll make you some spicy Korean food. All right. In other news, actually, speaking of food, speaking yes. of agriculture, speaking of growing things. Um, so, uh, a group of scientists from the University of New South Wales down in Sydney have come upon the discovery that we don't need greenhouses. Oh. We need red houses. Right. And that's basically a greenhouse with a red piece of film across the top that emits like red colored photons instead of regular colored photons. <laughs> and the, and, this is pretty wild. This is pretty wild, but it has led to boost of ye- like the boost of yields up to thirty seven percent. Really? Yeah. By making a, is there a specific kind of red that you need to use? So they're testing like all the different kinds of red, and they have multiple, like making multiple different colors, like with different hex codes and and whatnot. And like some of them are a lighter red, some of them are a darker red, depending on how much light penetration there is. Like if you're in a really, one. you know, if you're in a really sunny area, then you need probably a darker red. If you're in like a a, a area where the sun struggles, then you can have a lighter red. But they have just found like. Holy and solely, every place that they've applied this to has had high yields of crops. Oh, that's wild. I need to try this. And they pretty I much... Mean, I might get my dad to try it. He grows an amazing garden. They pretty much... Send me that link. Don't know why. From what I've oh, read... Oh, really? They don't know why? They're, they're like, really? <laughs> like they're, trying, they're like, okay, so when the photons are red, the plants... Like it more. <laughs> like, <laughs> like they're, they're really trying to find out why. Obviously, you know how photosynthesis works. The plants need photons of light to be able to grow. This is like the base knowledge of what we know, but they don't understand why it's specifically red. I've so you've got to put a red the hothouse and a normal hothouse in the backyard and see which one grows better. Yeah. Just grab some red plastic, some red see-through plastic. Mm. Totally. It's amazing. That is awesome. All right. In other news that has come through, oh, we're going to talk about China. This is kind of positive, interesting news in China. Basically, the, the weather data, like the, the in-depth, intense weather data has come out for the last two years, and it's found there's been a dramatic increase of rainfall in China that has been completely attributed to the fact that during, like, COVID, particularly 2020, uh, you know, some some... Also through 2021 and lockdown and whatnot. Um, Because of the shutting down of, like, factories and whatnot, there's been less aerosols in the atmosphere, and they've seen a massive bump in rainfall. And they need that rainfall. And they need it. It's needed rainfall. It's been, like... It's not, like, unneeded. Well, it's been massively declining, particularly over the last five years, up until COVID, um, just because production was ramping up and ramping up and ramping up, and their rainfall was really struggling, and then all of a sudden now they're just, like, getting floods because, you know... Aerosols aren't in the air, keeping the rain away. So, interesting stuff coming out of... You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. Quiz. Serious quiz for 200 points. 
what was the colour of the cord hung outside the window? Oh, my story from the last uh, from the last segment will give you a bit of a hint for this one. What was the colour of the cord Rahab hung outside the window? 0491-064-669 is the number to call if you know the answer. For 200 points, you can net yourself an issue of Simon's Magazine or you can get your points on the board. Continue to work the, your way through the quiz, guys. Join the Bragging Rights crew. Get your answers in. We want to know. Do you know? 0491-064-669 is the number to call. And if you do know, then give us a text. Tell us the answer. Author of the uh, study that was just mentioned in the news about meat eating not shortening lifespan, uh, Dr. Yu, uh, at the beginning of his study, he says here, uh, and I quote, we wanted to look more closely at research that has shown a, shown, that has thrown a negative spotlight on meat consumption in the human diet. Oh. That doesn't sound biased, does it? No. Okay, that doesn't so, sound like that doesn't sound at all like he has an agenda. Yeah, it doesn't sound like he's <laughs> like, oh, okay, like I want to show that meat eating's good when everyone said it's bad. Then... <laughs> <laughs> everyone proved anyway, that meat eating's bad. Anyway, you didn't I have to don't have to do too much digging to find that one's fake news. <laughs> That's um, so funny, bro. All right, let's talk about domestic violence in Australia oh, yeah. and particularly homicide. Um, so this is some new research that has just come out um, looking at the, at eight years from uh, 2010 to 2018 mm. and looking at what the trigger factors are and where the danger points are as far as domestic violence go, uh, particularly domestic violence that results in homicide. And 60% of domestic violence takes place as a result of separation. So separation is the most dangerous thing in a... In a relationship, as far as uh, somebody being murdered goes, Oof. and the most dangerous point is three months after separation. That makes so much sense. What you, you kind of think of it as like you know you get through the first month or so, and you think, okay, we've sort of uh, got past the point of you know this person just rocking up in a rage and murdering their ex. Uh, that's not actually the case. You know, we need to be protecting you know, exes and separated partners for, you know, at least six months before, you know, the danger even starts to go away because the three-month period... But you say it makes a lot of sense there, Lawson? Yeah, well, I think, like, the initial response to... Like, everyone, I think, in their heart wants to, like, accept and move on because they know it's the best thing for them. Like, it, it when, when a separation happens like yes. that, it's like... You want to be able to move on. Uh, and I feel like it's this thing of, oh, and you're so crushed and you're so sad. Uh, but I think after three months, it, it makes sense that that like depression that comes or that, that sadness that comes could, could turn into rage. And I, I've just seen like. Yes, yeah, so you go through the anger stage of grief. That's right. Uh, In the stages of grief, you hit that anger stage and that's where the danger point is. That's right. And I've seen like anecdotally and in, in, in my own life, like people splitting up and initially like it's kind of this heavy thing and the people don't talk to each other because they're hurt or whatever it may be. But then after a little while, it's actually, if if it didn't end on good terms, it's actually when it gets worse after after that initial stage. So I, I, I can see I can see it being like that. That's okay, terrible. 94%, and this is very telling right here, uh, particularly if you are in a relationship where domestic violence is a thing, 94% of homicides, uh, domestic homicides, had a history of at least one violent offence. Okay, mm. so if you've got an intimate partner that hits you, that has a violent offence, 
that is physically violent towards you, then that is definitely a danger sign and you need to be out of that relationship sooner rather than later. The longer you leave it, the more dangerous it becomes. Mm. Uh, what's also interesting is that 70% of women who kill their domestic partner are previous victims of domestic violence. And so you can kind of see, you you wonder how many of these are, uh, you know, sort of have a self-defence aspect to them. Um, of course, there's not a justification for homicide. Uh, these are women who need to get out of these relationships rather than kill their partners. Mm. Um, over the eight years here in Australia, there were 240 women who were killed. There were 65 men who were killed. And out of the men who were, sorry, uh, uh, sorry 200... 240 women who were killed by their male partner, uh, 65 men who were killed by their female partner, and uh, six men who were killed by their male partner. Uh, what's also interesting, this was an interesting thing that came out in the research, is that men typically verbalise to others the fact that they are going to kill their partner before they do. They are just very, very rarely taken seriously. And so it's, it seems to be part of the process of a man processing the fact that he's going to kill his ex. Uh, part of that whole process of coming to that decision to do so, he actually tells somebody about it. Yeah. And so the, the moral of this story is if somebody's going through a relationship breakup and an ex says, I'm going to kill my partner, believe them. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's like a verbalization, like a like a the verbalization comes from like a validation thing. Probably. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. You know, they're, they're sort of they're building up to it. Um, they're validating it in their mind. They're justifying it in their mind. They're building mm. up the courage for it. They're, they're once they've spoken it, it becomes more real for them. All that yeah. kind of stuff. That's probably what leads to the three month thing as well, because like you'd really like for the average person just to go out and murder someone. Like, well, it's really it, it seems it's really just somebody snapping. Yeah, they really need to work up on it. The pain's setting in and the anger's setting in. Whoa, that's heavy. Okay, so these are your major warning signs. 30% of all of them uh, were relationships that appeared normal on the outside, but the warning sign was jealousy. Oh, totally. So when there was a jealous relationship um, on the inside, and so these were normal people. They were just like, you know, your average person, except that, you know, to all intents and purposes on the outside, they seemed normal, except that they were controlling and jealous. Mm -hmm. um, so that was 30%. 40% uh, is what they call the, the, the disorderly category, and these are people whose life is already a mess. Mm -hmm. uh, so these are people who have uh, mental health problems, they have emotional problems, they have physical health problems, they have a history of violence and a history of abuse. So that's 40%. And so those are the kind of people you can look at it and say, yeah, I could see that that would be a dangerous situation. The 30% is the one that scares me the most because they're the ones you don't see. It appears to be a normal relationship on the outside, but on the inside there's a whole lot of control and jealousy that is taking place. Mm. Um, and then you've got 10% that is the deterioration pathway where it is just, you know, it, it starts to go bad and then it just has this downhill trajectory that mm. reaches a, a, a particular point mm. uh, of danger. And so these are, these are the areas that we need to be thinking about here in Australia as far as uh, domestic violence goes. And if you're in one of those kind of relationships, now is the time to get out. Okay, in the United States, very quickly, the Supreme Court has decided to hear a case um, where a Christian web designer was forced, was going to be forced to create 
wedding websites for same-sex couples. This has gone all the way through to the Supreme Court. It will be interesting to see how this is going to turn out. Of course, this is in the state of Colorado. They've been before the Supreme Court and lost before. And the question is, does forcing an artist to speak or stay silent violate free speech? Mm. Okay, so, and the argument basically is that the government shouldn't have the right to silence or compel creative expression under threat of punishment. So 303 Creative uh, that filed this uh, as a pre-enforcement legal challenge to the Colorado Discrimination Act. They actually don't build websites yet. They were just saying this is what we want to do, but we want to have the freedom to be able to do them uh, according to our conscience. And they're stating, you know, Colorado has weaponized its law uh, to silence speech it disagrees with, to compel speech it approves of, and to punish anyone who dares to dissent. Uh, of course, this went before the uh, 10th Circuit uh, Court, and it, and there in a 2-1 um, in, a, in a 2-1 majority, uh, they lost this, and the, uh, the judge Timothy Timkovich, who was the minority judge who found in favour of the of 303 Creative uh, stated this. He said, but the majority takes the remarkable and novel stance that the government may force uh, Miss Smith to produce messages that violate her conscience. In doing so, the majority concludes not only that Colorado has a compelling interest in forcing uh, Miss Smith to speak a government-approved message against her religious beliefs, but also that its public accommodation law is the least restrictive means of accomplishing this goal. No case has ever gone so far. So watch this space. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. Yep. Lawson, what's our 300-pointer? For 300 points. <laughs> what are you laughing Very at? For I, this just, question. I, ready. No, I, I, didn't know what, I don't know what this question is, but uh, producer Shell just got on the microphone in my ear to say, I put this question in before the news. I'm like, okay, what does that mean? Lawson then looks at the question and just breaks down laughing. So, What did Jesus eat in the presence of the disciples shortly after his resurrection? (laughs) (laughs) Wonder what that might be. 0491-064669 is the number to call or text if you know the answer. For 300 points, you can net yourself a pocket sermon or get those points on the board. Continue to work your way through. Get every question correct and sweep the quiz and win every single prize. But again, that question was, what did Jesus eat in the presence of his disciples? Disciples shortly after his resurrection. Um, hint, uh, it wasn't plant-based. <laughs> <laughs> this is very true. Um, and it's interesting, somebody was just texting through to, to, to point out the fact that this uh, new study that's been uh, put out and is being reported in the media is not yet peer-reviewed. Oh. <laughs> so I would oh, I love that. it's going to get peer-smashed. But anyway, <laughs> we will see what happens. Okay, let's go to our... Oh, just a quick reminder, the uh, number to call if you know the answer to the quiz question is 0491-064-669. Joining us on the phone right now is David Haupt. David, welcome to the show. Good morning, gentlemen, and good morning to our listeners. Good to be back. Yes, David, I, I, I uh, just... We've got this new report, you know, talking about new reports, this new report that has come out uh, from the iconic Australian breakfast brand Wheat Bix of all places 
to talk about child self-esteem in Australia. What's happening here? Well, yes, it's a research done by uh, Forge Wellbeing, and they looked at the well-being of, uh, well, let me just straightforward, the decline in well-being of uh, school-age kids. They noticed that uh, kids, as they go start their the school, that they have a fairly good um, self-esteem. But by the time that they reach year 12, that there is a major decline that has taken place in, in those young people's lives. Uh, talking about a 35% decline in self-worth and, and the, the perception of their self-worth. In other words, something is happening. Um, they have interviewed 27,000 young people, um, had a battery of, of questions, and they pose it to these kids. And uh, over eight areas, they measured them. And uh, your, your uh, young kids that just start off with school have a fairly good, positive outlook on life. But the older they get, they notice that there's a major decline. Uh, so they've done a bit of research on that. That's really interesting. Now, does that reflect, uh, you know, because obviously – when you are going through school, you are also going through your adolescence, your uh, puberty, and all of the insecurity that often comes about as a result of, you know, your body changing very, you know, physically um, in in all kinds of ways. Is that simply a reflection of a natural process of being a teenager, going through that, and then coming out the side, other side, as a better, more mature person, or is this something we really need to be concerned about? This is something that we really need to be concerned about because it is uh, actually producing parents eventually uh, that have no uh, positive outlook in life that is going to influence the next generation again. So we see a steady decline happening, which therefore leads to mental health issues as well as eventually into very dangerous areas like suicidality, the inability to really... Um, contribute to the workforce and just think about, you know, relationship building and connecting because it, it is in relationship building that we actually need a, a strong sense of worth and value. So it is really going to impact the entire range of, of our life as, as human beings for the future. Do we then need to relook at the way that we uh, think about those adolescent teenage years when, you know, we find young people are dealing with those teenage insecurities? Uh, do we need to look at that as being abnormal rather than normal? I I was going to jump in on the word that you used of normal because we now, after you know, or during the, the COVID pandemic. Uh, have changed our vocabulary and we talk now about the new normal. Uh, so the abnormal has become normal. Uh, are we doing the same with mental health? Uh, it's very interesting as, as you uh, look at the development of the diagnostic instrument that psychiatrists use that between the DSM-3 to the current DSM-5. There are many things that have become normal that was previously perceived as abnormal. Um, but what is the impact? Uh, what is the erosion that takes place in our community? Well, it's interesting. I drew the, um, the, the full report and did further research because Sanitarium reported a little bit on it. 
but they also made available the, the, the full report. Um, they discovered that, you know, the average decline is 35%. Kindergarten, between kindergarten to year 12, um, 91% of kindergarten age children rated positive overall to positive emotional uh, compared to 50% in year 12, uh, w- which is enormous, a, a, an enormous drop. Um, sadly, one in 10 high school students responded uh, that they did not feel positive at all. Um, I have, and, and, and this is shocking, I had recently, uh, you know, an eight-year-old child came to the point where they actually effectively ended their own life because they just couldn't see any positive things ahead of them. An eight-year-old? Um, eight-year-old, which is just mind-boggling. It's um, So we, we find that girls and boys in kindergarten ranked the same positive emotions, but when it came to year 12, we saw that boys' feelings were far more positive than girls. Now, the researchers come out there and they say, well, there's a few things that we need to keep in mind. You've touched on some of them, and and that is that they go through puberty, the body changes, but that is natural for us to go through puberty and, and go through our body changes. But what we are more exposed to today and what we didn't have when you and I grew up was the social media. Yes. Uh, yes. During the pandemic, uh, while our kids were at home, locked in at home, they, the majority of them had access to social media. So they keep on measuring themselves against the opinion and that which others have posted on social media. And of course, what what is posted, we we only post the positive up on social media, and so it always looks like our lives are absolutely amazing and fun and just incredible all the time to others. But that's not reality. Exactly, but at the same time, there's also shaming that takes place on on social media. In other words, I post something, I post a photo, and uh, those that are supposed to be my friends comment on that. Uh, Davito, a world expert in uh, self-worth and self-value and esteem, says that our self-worth comes from basically three areas. The observation that I make and the interpretation I make of how others interconnect and interrelate with each other, how they interrelate with me, and the sense that I make out of that difference is what will impact the way that I will view myself. So I see, I see two people uh, connecting very well, but I see that they don't connect so well with me. I look at my parents, the way that they interact with my siblings, and the, and and I notice the difference that they make in, in, in the connection with me, and the interpretation that I give to that change and or that difference will determine how I would view myself. Now, there's a catch. While we focus on um, the uh, you know school-going kids, what we're unaware of is that the child is already shaped. Their view of, of the sense they're going to make out of themselves starts already to be shaped in the mother's womb. So before the emotional before they're born, 
Exactly. So the way that the mother feels about herself, the, 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 the emotional stresses that is placed on the mother, the relationship between mum and dad, uh, the, the way that she feels about the pregnancy, this is all pre-birth already starts to, to shape the lens that I would look through at myself and the sense that I will make. So I come pre, I come born into this world already with a pre-shaped idea that will interpret my observation. Mm. And no one prepares us for that. And therefore, we look to the behaviors of unreliable sources. In other words, people that struggle to make sense of their own life, we look at their behavior and we interpret their behavior towards us as if it is descriptive of who we are. Is there a difference between, you mentioned you know, self-esteem here as being the major issue, is there a difference between self-esteem and self-worth or are they both exactly the same thing? Well, the self-esteem is, is the, the sense that I give to my worth and my value. The uh, and and that impacts the interpretation that I give to my uh, self value. But the the, the, the truth is, uh, Lyle, that a child is born with immense value. Mm. Why is it that that child, when they reach the age of twenty one, or in this case, eighteen years of age, why suddenly has that declined? I don't know about your kids. Or your grandkids. Um, when my kids were born, their their behaviours were pretty appalling. Mm-hmm. The, the, the way that they acted, that they just screamed for whatever they wanted. They couldn't assist and contribute to society or to the family. It was very much I focused and I centered, uh, and and still they had value unmeasurable with with any stand in this world. Uh, there is nothing in this world that uh, you could give me to have been able to bought my, my children or my grandchildren. Why is it that, that then that that child at the age of 18 has a 50% decline in their observation of what their value is? Surely a child understanding that they are a blood-bought child of God is going to have to have a major impact on their understanding of self worth and how much they and how and what they what they what their real value is. You're touching on part of the solution. Yeah, we but, need to uh, talk about the solution. We've got two minutes left. Um, we're going to talk about the solution this week or next week. I, I think we need to talk uh, extensively about it because we do. this is a cru- crucial issue. The question is: Does our children know? where their value truly comes from. And is that reflected in our parenting model or in our community model on how we deal with our children? Um, the, the reality in the counseling room that I so often work with, with this pathology, is the fact that people don't understand that. And it is really the, the, the truth of righteousness by faith, of understanding that my value is in actual fact attested by the gift that God gives us that really gives my, my true value. But most children don't know that, and a lot of parents don't understand it. 
So it becomes a generational issue then, and it sort of makes you wonder, okay, if it's if if there's a fifty percent decline, you know, amongst our young people in this generation, where does the next generation end up? I mean, this seems to be like a vicious cycle. Exactly. Exactly. Somehow so our to- young our young people look around themselves to try to derive their value from. Uh, the, the, the measurement outside of themselves, while in reality, is not from outside, it's from above. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay, so we've got some major issues uh, that arise out of this, social media being one of them, and you know one of the major driving forces. We need to look at ways that we can uh, control that within our families. Uh, we also need to look at how we can help our children to understand their true value to God. Uh, maybe we'll take this up again next week to look in more detail at solutions, David. Correct. Very shortly, I know our time is up, um, one of the most crucial things is that children growing up in a, a in a family where there's no conditionality in terms of their acceptance, their sense of receiving love, as well as a sense of belonging, are children that grow up knowing that they've got worth and value. Mm. It's, uh, that lives with conditionality as exactly the opposite. David, thank you so much for joining us here on The Breakfast Show this morning. We look forward to part two where we look at some real practical solutions as to how we can uh, raise our children to understand their true worth. Right now we're going to listen to Fernando Ortega uh, with Alison Krauss, Children of the Living God.
morning when he comes in the clouds, glorious sun. Sing for the morning when he comes. Sing to the living God. How he loves us with great love. He who sits enthroned above. For our lives he spilled his blood. Set his spirit like a flood. Children of the living God. Sing to the living God. Thanks for being a part of the Faith FM family. Join our community on Facebook or get in touch at 1-800-FAITH-FM.